All right, podcast family, it is officially the fourth quarter. And as you know, if you've been to any sporting events during the fourth quarter, you'll always see the players either hold up four fingers or kind of hold up a fist. And, you know, when they're doing that, they're signaling that this is it. This is the end of the game. This is the fourth quarter. This is what we prove that we have prepared and that we are ready to finish out this game strong and that this is our last opportunity to you know, affect this year or affect the score as it is right now to finish out so we can get this win. And that's exactly what we're going to do on this podcast for 2023. We're not going to take the excuse of it's been a bad year up to this point. We're going to make sure that we are preparing each and every one of you with what you need to be ready for 2024. So we're not just going to wait until January gets here to try to make a difference. So one thing I want to talk about, we have health topics that I want to discuss. Uh, we're going to start off this week. I'm going to share with you a webinar that I did about men's health and also talking about some healthcare disparities. We'll start off with that. We are also going to have a speaker focused on women's health, as well as a child um, specialist talking about pediatric problems as well um, as neurological problems for the pediatric population. So you do not want to miss out on those episodes as well as I want to get feedback from you about what topics do you want to hear in these next two to three months of the year to prepare you for 2024 so you can make sure that you have the tools that you need, whether it's about taxes, um, whether it's about um, investments, whatever it's about, give me feedback so we'll know that we're doing the episodes that are going to really prepare you to jumpstart your year. So let's close out this year. Let's close out 2023 on a high note. Let's make sure that we're pushing through the finish line and not just kind of coasting through to get to the holidays and say, hey, I'm going to do better in 2024. So let's get into this episode about men's health and healthcare disparities and what you should be doing to maximize your exercise as well as your cardiovascular health. Um, it is a privilege to be able to talk to you today about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is musculoskeletal health and specifically how it affects men of color. So today I'm sure you're hearing about a lot of medical conditions and how they disproportionately affect the African-American race and musculoskeletal health is no difference. So what is healthcare disparities? So healthcare disparities in general is a difference in the quality as well as the access uh, to healthcare based off of across racial, ethnic, as well as socioeconomic classes. So how might healthcare disparity affects your musculoskeletal health. So first, access. So many times living in more rural areas, you might not have access to specialists such as orthopedic surgeons, or you might not have access to people who are specialized in treating certain areas of the body. So one thing is that we know that many people of African-American descent, what I see in my practice is that we tend to present later in the disease process. And that applies to osteoarthritis. It applies to injuries of the shoulder, injuries of the knee, um, injuries of the ankle and the back. And there's many different factors that can play into the reason why we tend to present later in the disease course. I think number one, lack of trust in the medical community. Many times, especially during the COVID-19 era, I would hear people discuss the Tuskegee experiment and how the lack of trust between the patient and the medical field, feeling that, that the medical field 
would use um, African-Americans as test subjects, which historically has happened. Also, um, insurance constraints. We know that it's very difficult and it's very expensive to afford good insurance. And if you do not have good insurance, many times you're not even able to get access to a specialist. On top of that, if you do not have a good social economic status, it's hard to afford even the co-pays for paying for medicine or paying for you know, prescription calls or the amount that you might need to actually undergo a procedure. And then if you do have to have surgery, you have to have time away from your job, which also means loss of pay. So there's a lot of factors that can go into why African-Americans are not seen earlier uh, for common conditions that we see in orthopedics. For about the last decade, the data has shown that for hip and knee replacements, which is kind of the end of the road treatment for osteoarthritis, only approximately 5% of hip and knee replacements are done in African-Americans. And over 74 to 75% are done in white Americans, which is far out of proportion with the racial makeup of the country. So as an African-American orthopedic surgeon, I represent less than 2% of all practicing orthopedic surgeons in the country. And it's my duty, I feel, to help educate not only my patients, but the population in general about access to care, about the importance of seeking care early in the disease process. Many people don't come to see a surgeon because they don't wanna have surgery. However, the earlier you present, the more options we can present to you um, of conservative measures of how to treat your aches and pains and even get you back to, to work or back to your sport, whatever it may be. So first let's talk about some of the general ailments that I see in my orthopedic practice. So I'm sure I'm talking to a group of former athletes, maybe some current athletes, people who are still working on jobs, people who might be retired, um, but are still active in their day-to-day -day lives. So in this population, I tend to see mainly injuries in the shoulder, the knee, uh, lower back. And let's just kind of go through some of the common things that I see in my practice. So for the shoulder, many people will present with shoulder pain, which might be going on for days to weeks, or even sometimes months to years. One thing with the shoulder, people tend to hide their shoulder pain because they learn how to compensate for it. They learn how to just, if it's their right hand, they'll use their left hand, or instead of reaching, they'll climb up on something so they don't have to reach as high. And many times people will present, especially if they're, if this has been going on for a very long time with loss of range of motion or stiffness in the joint. So most people, when they present, they say, oh, I think it's my rotator cuff. And why is that? Because rotator cuff injuries are very common, especially in the adult population uh, with men or women over the age of 40 or 50, especially if there's an injury like a car wreck or maybe falling from height, uh, falling off a ladder or falling and trying to catch yourself uh, from falling. So rotator cuff injuries are very common. However, a rotator cuff tear is not always present. Sometimes it can be just irritation of the tendons. Um, the rotator cuff is made up of four muscles that attach to the bone, attach to your humerus. And the job of the rotator cuff is to help you lift your arm in many different planes. So many times those muscles or tendons can just be aggravated, not necessarily torn, which does not tend to require surgery. So once again, 
the earlier you present, the more treatment options we can give to you. Um, so many times with treating a shoulder injury, number one, I'm going to get a good history to see, you know, was there an injury? How long has it been going on? How is it affecting your daily life? But some things might start off with as simple as take ibuprofen um, and rest for a couple of weeks. And then we'll tend to progress on to some type of therapy or some type of intervention, even maybe even giving you some exercises to perform at home. So some things that you can do at home to work on your flexibility is kind of walking your hand up the wall. Um, you can even get a pulley system where you can help uh, move the injured arm with the healthy arm. Um, we can give you TheraBands so you can do exercises. These are all things that you can do at home. Many times you can do it sitting at your desk, even at the job. So a combination of, of some type of exercise, anti-inflammatory, will take care of a large amount of shoulder injuries. If you cannot do it on your own, we can send you to work with a therapist. And sometimes we can give you an injection to help decrease the inflammation in the shoulder. If that doesn't work, typically in about six to eight weeks, we might obtain an MRI to see what damage is done to the shoulder. If you do have a rotator cuff tear, sometimes surgery will be recommended if you're having significant weakness or even pain. One thing that we see very common with the shoulder is pain at night. So I'm sure anybody that's had you know, a rotator cuff injury in the crowd can agree with, it's usually really tough to sleep at night. And even sometimes after surgery, you might even have to sleep in a recliner for the first couple of weeks before you're able to really lie on your back. So uh, let's move on to hip and knee pain, which we also see very commonly. So there's many different reasons why you can have hip or knee pain. Sometimes it doesn't even have to deal with being inside the joint. The hip and the knee both are surrounded by a lot of muscles. So sometimes knee pain or hip pain can really be due to muscle weakness. Um, and sometimes your hip might cause knee pain. We call that referred pain. So sometimes people will present with knee pain, but the true pathology or the true disease process is actually going on in the hip. So anytime you present, one of the first things we're going to do is get imaging of that joint, um, usually starting off with the x-ray. Um, if there's something more serious going on, we might need to obtain a CT scan or an MRI to try to get the diagnosis of what's going on. But once again, just like the shoulder, many problems you have in the hip can be treated without surgery. Uh, generally with physical therapy or an injection. We do a lot of injections for the hip and knee, which can give you long-term relief in many different circumstances. So some things that might require surgery are tears of the cartilage or meniscus or ligament tears, or even kind of end-stage arthritis. We mentioned joint replacements earlier. Um, after you've gone through all the conservative treatment of physical therapy, injections, anti-inflammatory medications, sometimes you do need surgery. So that brings up the next question, when is surgery indicated? So I always tell my patients, you will know when you need to have surgery. And I tell them that a joint replacement is to help restore function and to decrease pain. And when your life is severely affected by the pain that you're having each day or the pain with each step or the popping and locking in your joint, that's when it's time to have a joint replacement. And each person is different. Many people can tolerate it for longer periods of time, um, but I leave it up that final decision to the patient. Which brings me to another point of informed consent. So informed consent means that the physician explains to you the procedure, the risk benefits, alternatives to care, and it's up to you as a patient to make that decision. However, you can only make an informed decision after you've collected the information. I encourage 
all of my patients to empower yourself with knowledge, to ask questions. I don't like when I'm talking to a patient and I say, do you have any questions? No, no questions. You're the doctor. You tell me what to do. No, I'm the doctor. I can make recommendations. However, it's your decision to make the final decision about your treatment and your care. So definitely take the responsibility of learning about your medical condition, learning about the surgical procedures, learning about the risk and benefits. Hey, what could go wrong with this procedure? Make sure that you interview your physician, um, interview your surgeon before you just agree to have surgery. So that's one thing that I definitely recommend. And then let's talk about exercise and the role of exercise in your general health. So most of the medical conditions that you're going to hear about today from high blood pressure to diabetes to osteoporosis to even cancer, many of those conditions can be decreased by doing exercise. Um, so it's a recommendation that you do aerobic exercise of at least 60 minutes to upwards of um, 150 minutes per week. Now that will vary sometimes based off your intensity. If you do very uh, vigorous workouts, you can do them for a shorter period of time. However, just going on a brisk walk for 30 minutes, three to four times a week uh, will allow you to be able to have the benefits of doing uh, exercise. And not only just walking or exercising, aerobic exercise, we also want you to do um, low resistance exercises or weightlifting because the more you can move your muscles, the more impact that you put on your body, the stronger your bones will be. And that will help fight the decline in your bone mass and the onset of osteoporosis. So what if you are unable to do some of the exercises that you used to do? So for instance, once upon a time I was a runner or once upon a time I enjoyed playing football or basketball, but I just can't do it anymore. So what other alternative things can you do versus running up and down a court or running up and down a field? So as we mentioned, walking is good. Maybe walking and jogging if you cannot just tolerate uh, the running all the time and the pounding. Swimming is a very good alternative. It allows you to be in the water. The buoyancy takes a lot of force off your joints. That's one exercise that I definitely recommend for people dealing with arthritis because it can help the whole body as well as give you a good aerobic workout. Dancing is also good. It's something that helps you get your heart rate up. Doing yoga is very good for flexibility um, as well as a lot of other mental components that go along with yoga. But those are some of the alternative exercises that you can do that your body will tend to tolerate for a longer period of time than some of the rigorous running and pounding on your body. So hopefully this information has been helpful. Um, if I can be of further assistance to you, I have a website at Dr. Derek, the sports doctor at the bottom of the screen. You have the ability to reach out to me also, I have a podcast, Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. You might find some episodes that will be helpful uh, to provide information about not only your health, but also your mental health, as well as just overall mindset of achieving success. And really, it's, I'm here to try to be a motivation to others. So if you have any young people uh, that are interested in going in the medical field, pass along my information. I'll be glad to sit down and talk to them, especially share my story with them about obstacles that I had to overcome uh, to achieve the level of success that I have. And I'm still not there. However, I'm working hard every day to achieve it. So hopefully this information was helpful. If I can be of uh, assistance to you, please reach out to me. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. 
And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace. Hey, time out with the sports doc. Keep our head right in the game. We ain't never stopping. You are now tuned in. Trust, you don't want to miss. This is where life, sports, and medicine.